Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast, and today is joining me a guest of um, of kind of nostalgia, really, of uh, of a little bit of my uh, uni life going up and uh, in a peak kind of Pongla phase. Um, he's produced many sort of uh, hits, albums, uh, worked a lot behind the scenes, and some of that information is what I want to get out of today's uh, conversation. Without further ado, welcome, Simon Nandra. Hello, how you doing? Very good. Now, the amount of times that I see you in at um, the morning drop-off, let's say, where, where the children, uh, we drop our kids off, I always try to get you onto the podcast at some point. And finally, you uh, you succumbed to my uh, request. Why was that? I felt bad, didn't it? Mick, uh, it's been two years now, isn't it? You've been asking, so I thought, uh, I thought might as well, let's, let's do it, Hannah. And then we could talk about something else when I see you, at least. Uh. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Normally, we have a bit of a running commentary of like, oh, what are you up to now? Who you got in? Blah, blah, blah. Now we'll probably have a fresh conversation, as uh, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's uh, lots more topics we can talk about now, isn't it? That's it. All right, then, sorry. I'm going to ask you a frank question. Where you been? Uh, you know where I've been. I've been doing them <laughs> drop-offs and morning pickups, but... <laughs> No, look, uh, to be honest with you, look, um, I think um, besides my, my most recent release, uh, probably about three weeks ago, uh, four weeks ago, uh, it's been, I think the one before that was 2018 and that was a, a, a group project and, and 2017 before that, my album. Um, I've just been, you know what, I've been doing a lot of stuff in the studio, working with um, a lot of different people. Um, I engineer a lot. Um, I still got my nine to five job. I've always had my nine to five job and I love it. And uh, I've just been busy with that family life. Um, you know, industry's changed quite a bit uh, a number of years ago. And at that point where I saw that happening, I didn't like what I was seeing at that time. So I decided I was going to focus a little bit less on it, uh, more on family work um, and, and stuff like that. And I kind of took a back step. So, I, you know, I stopped gigging touring with other bands and stuff doing all of that stopped uh and um now it's become more of a hobby uh a bit of a you know side bit that i do to for my getaway i've been trying to get out of it for years i've been telling people i need to retire and i i, I can't i can't stop something happens after a couple of months and it's like no you need to do something mm. you i, I want to get you, you did say something in there which i will kind of um get to for later on in terms of why you what what was the change in terms of what happened but yeah uh, I want to go back to the beginning you've been in, you were learning music from the age of eight what was your um 
your your instruments and stuff that you that you uh, got into? So my very first instrument, I'm 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 not going to say recorder because we used to learn the recorder in school, right? It wasn't that. Um, I actually um, learned the clarinet. And um, I wanted to learn saxophone. I loved saxophone. So when I was really young, um, I, I I loved, and I still do, I, I love reggae music and um, that kind of all that soul and stuff. And I used to put a lot of sax in there. And I was like, yeah, I want to do this. And I went to my teachers in school and I said, I, I want to learn saxophone. And they go, we don't teach it. And the teacher goes, but if you learn clarinet, you should be able to play saxophone. So uh, that was the very first instrument I started learning. Um, and then what happened was um, at that time, my um, my older brother, uh, Nermal, um, he got into music as well. Well, he was already into music, but he started doing a lot more. He actually became a radio presenter first. Um, so he was a radio presenter on Radio Sangam. Ah, so uh, this is an old school kind of West Midlands based. Uh, yeah. radio station for those people who are kind of watching and listening in um, almost kind of a, I, I might be dangerous waters here but almost like a pirate radio station I'm not sure whether it was fully legit yeah you might be right I don't know I don't know let's not let's not open that kind of worms anyway <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but yeah so he was doing that and um, um, he was a drummer and he wanted to be he wanted to be a drummer and he went and kind of auditioned with bands and eventually he basically became a sound engineer and all these bands started coming around to the house and I used to see them and I got obsessed with like guitar and the bass guitar and um, then I picked up I think I must have been about uh, 10 maybe 12 and I wanted to learn the bass guitar and again it was all around that kind of reggae music as well because that's what it was all built around and so I picked that up and I just started you know jamming on that so those were my main two kind of instruments but i think by the time i was 12 13 the, the clarinet went away it was less like now nah, let's forget that altogether mm -hmm. and then did you go into any kind of um like uh the blow or any any of the percussion side of it or, at all or was it just straight keys or nothing of like yeah. uh, folk instruments no, so I, you know what, I, I, I didn't get into anything like that, to be honest with you. I think once my, my mom and dad went to India once and bought me back a doubler, and I must have gone to a couple of doubler lessons, and I said, this is, a, is not for me. I still got the doubler, actually. I still got it. And uh, so it's mint condition. Uh, it's just sitting here in the studio, actually. <laughs> so you know from, from the clarinet to um, out, of a, out of the box, your your debut kind of album, what was the what was the stages to get to that level? Were you already working with individuals or bands or anything before to go on there? Because that's a bit, it is a bit of a big step to go, to go out. This is a time before singles and so forth. Yeah. So, um, I'll, so I'll tell you, so, um, so obviously I was, um, you know, I, I was in school and these bands were always coming around and I was about 15, 16 years old. And, um, my brother was working with, um, the Sahotas at the time. And the other sound engineer was was, was Purdy Bogle. And um, Purdy had a recording studio. He's working at one in Wolverhampton. And um, I was in my final year of school and it was uh, work experience time. So I went to do work experience in the studio with Purdy Bogle for two weeks. And at that point, um, it blew my mind. I was like, I love this. 
I want to do this. This is what it's about now. So I'm 16 years old now and I'm thinking, right, great. I'm going to finish school and, and this is what I'm going to start doing. I need to get my head around it and everything. And that for me, that's where the journey started. And I was like, yeah, I now want to start making music or engineering music and doing it. Prior to that, I would just go with my brother uh, to see bands all the time. And I would just just I was just obsessed with music. I just became really like I was in school, believe it or not. I, I was 14 and I had long hair. What school my, was it? What school was this? I'll tell you after. It's around the corner from us. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> so I, I, I had, you know, um, I had, um, I had this, the, 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 the gold hoops in, in one in each ear. I had long hair, land to my shoulders. Uh, every Saturday, you know, where people were going out playing with their mates. I, I, I'd sneak in with my brother to watch shows. Um, my favourite one, um, I'd, I'd go every other weekend was, um, I don't know whether you heard a band called Oz, UZ. So I'll tell you what who this band was, right? So back in the day, um, there was Excellency. Yeah. And Excellency had Dave and Hot Budgeon. Yeah. So when they split, Dave made a reggae band. And Dave used to do a lot of uh, pub and local gigs. And there used to be people like G-Mads used to be the bass player. Right. And if they, and I used to go, my brother used to be engineering and I would just be sitting there on a stool, just watching them for hours and hours. And I was like, this is what I want to do. That coupled up with the studio. It was just that was it. The, the journey was hitting towards that way. Um, and then that's when I started because meeting all these bands. Um, it was like, yeah, Simon, come along with us, come along with us. And, uh, you know, that's what I started doing. So that's how I kind of got into it. Okay, I want to I want to break down a couple of things. Yeah. Um, so you've been in studio when Sahotas have been recording, is that correct? So they weren't recording. Other okay. people were recording. Yeah. Okay. Not so which kind of, which which other kind of bands did you come in in contact with? And tell me your first impressions of some of those bands that you saw. Because um, the reason why I ask is the first time I saw a proper band where. I was the, I was old enough to understand the, what was being said and what was happening. Um, it really threw me back. I didn't like it. I just wanted to get your impressions of when you saw first bands. So when I first saw saw the band, so look, I grew up. We, we I saw bands at weddings, didn't I? So it was yeah, that, yeah. that was the first thing you know. See all the, these people growing up. Uh, but the the difference for me was not only would I see them at weddings, but then they would be around the house. So, you know, they'd come pick up, everyone would come in a minibus and stuff. So it became like friends, family, they all knew me. They always look out for me as well, because they were much older than me, you know, 10, 15 years older than me. So I grew up with, around these people. Um, so, but, but I loved it. It, it, was, it was really, really good. But in the studio, when I was there with Purdy, it was all, um, there was, there was, it wasn't any Pongara. It was all like um, uh, reggae music uh, and rap music and stuff, all different types of artists coming in. Uh, doing it and you know I, I always remember I was there and the first job he gave me he goes this is a patch bay this is how it works and he had me there for hours just patching things around and then what does that mean patching so so patching like you have lots of devices in the studio and you kind of got this you, you get like a, a yeah I've got I've got one here there we go I'll sit in the studio so you got like a cable like that yeah so you, you put it in one which is something's connected into that and then you push it into something else and then the sound will come out of there for example 
So it basically, it connects the different various things in the studio. So I was getting into all that, you know, then I started, I was really into it. I started learning about um, mics, you know, what's a condenser mic, what's this mic, what's the difference? And I'd read the books and, you know, I'd go to um, classes and stuff and learn about it. And I, all did, I did that all on weekends and evenings. And I was still, first I was in school and then uni. And whilst I was at uni still doing it, you know that, man, we went to uni. Yeah, I was good. You know, it's kind of interesting what you said because uh, I've spoken to Anka about this. So Anka from Brazil and everything, right? Okay. Uh, I'll just give him his little crappy shout out from there. Um, you, you talked about images, you talked about long hair and everything. One of my biggest memories of yourself at university was um, your belt, which was this where you had your. <laughs> I don't have a belt. I don't, I, had, I don't remember this belt. He had yeah, it. Like, so, so he, Simon used to have a belt with his name on his belt, which was just Simon on there. And it was like diamond encrusted. I knew this because I saw it on uh, when we had uh, one of the uni balls at the end of the year. And everyone was in a suit. And I was like, this guy, long hair. I think he had, I think you might, not too long hair. I think he had a barley in as well in your ear. And I was like, this guy is. I don't remember a belt with my name on it, but you know, we're 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 talking a long time ago. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure I've got a picture of this. I'm I'm sure Anka actually sent me a picture of it, um, of where it was a group group photo. Let's make sure that never goes on the internet if it is me, but yeah. So around your image and stuff that you you were seeing from there, you like there was a um you know there was conf- you did have confidence in, in in that side of stuff and that um did when you were how were you able to kind of hold your own especially in a, in an audience of where you did have different band members coming in um so so one I, I, are we talking after when i did my first album or when are we talking um, about now? i mean it's up to you where, where would you class it as where it's sort of a, you, the origin of it you know what? I I didn't get my confidence, to be honest with you, um, till about two thousand four, five, believe it or not. And my first album came out in two thousand and two, so um, it was I, I was always the the, the quietish type of guy. You know, um, I I didn't, you know, I never liked, and I still don't like being forefront of of anything, um, and. Um, it was only afterwards when um, I almost was a bit siloed in terms of what I was doing that I, I was able to build my own confidence because I've always been surrounded by uh, people that support me. Uh, but there was a point when I was starting off, which was great. I had some really, really strong individuals around me, but it was more I was being directed rather than find your own way. Um, and that didn't build my confidence. So I was just kind of following what I thought, yeah, he said it, so he must be right kind of thing. So it was a bit, it was a bit later on um, that I got confident. Uh, But even as a kid, I was really quiet. You'd never get me on stage. And now if I go do anything, I like, I want to be center of attention, which is really bad. Yeah, your your videos have always I've always remembered your your videos. You're always very expressive, and you must have got A in drama because you you are a very good actor in that way. So I'll give I'll give that. Yeah, that, I, that, I, I, I I I I don't know how how that happened. I mean, look if 
if I look back to my very first videos, I can't watch my first videos. I absolutely hate them. They're atrocious, right? Yeah, I, I'm not even in one of the videos. Like, I didn't even... At that point, it was like, I've got probably one of the, the biggest record label in the UK launching me, telling me they're going to do these videos. And videos weren't a big thing at that time. They were just starting to, to kick in. I had no idea what should I be wearing? What should I be doing? Um, how How's that going to look? I knew nothing at all. And I went there and when I, I see them after, I'm like, do you know what? If I could erase something, it would be those first videos. It was just like, but for me, what that taught, it, that it taught me such a big learning curve because after that, it was like, you know what? Never again. I now need to be in some sort of control. Mm. So, and, and that, that did not my confidence. That was like, I didn't like it uh, at all. And, and um, it was vocalized by a lot of people across i mean there wasn't much social media back then but it was very very limited what there was you know papers and stuff and what i used to hear wasn't great about what the the actual video just just generally videos or or, or as an individual i think during that time for some reason uh, and maybe everyone goes through this there was just not a lot of support for for, for up and coming people that didn't like you so you used to get knocked down a lot um why did and, you why did you I, think you got knocked down you too too much too soon or was it just that you were a threat because i know there was politics within I, i've spoken to tali when i've done and he, he he talks i think almost around about the same time i don't know whether that's right in terms of your your releases or whether it was slightly before that they, they were a week apart i think yeah, right yeah. so I, i'm just going off the top of my head um he i think he was where he was saying that it got really difficult to try and book out studio time. You would just see, he was seen as a a kid or a younger artist. You wouldn't get the preference within that. Was that some of the things that you were uh, getting or? I've no, I I never had anything like that, to be honest with you. I was from, from a, from a label perspective and everything, I got my studio time. I used to go to independent studios. I had nothing to do with them. It was, it was fine. No, no issues there whatsoever. I think once the the songs came out, I think some of it was there's no way this guy looking the way he does, being the way he is, has made these songs. That was the first thing. It was it was almost like this isn't possible. And and then when some of the videos came out, you know, um, I you know the 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 Chetikar it was just like what what's going on here? And I said I have no idea what's going on here because. I, you know, now I say to someone, if you're going to do my video, I need a script, what's going on, break it down, what are we shooting on, what's the lenses, what's the storyline, we do all that, and then I just turned up and got told what to do, and I was just like, I've got to do it, mm. um, and it was just like, nah, and then when Sardepara came out, I didn't even know there was a video to Sardepara, <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, what's going on, how did this come out, I'm not even in the video, and uh, I didn't tell Rakesh to come to the video because I didn't know it was being done. It was just a bit, I, I don't know what had happened. I mean, it's great there was a video, but it was like, why wasn't I part of that journey? It was very odd. How, you know, referring to the journey, from going from going in, having the interest into reggae bands and uh, mainstream music, let's say, how did that transition to go into Pongala happen then? Yeah, so that that's, that's good, man. Um, 
Uh, that happened um, mainly because as as I was getting older and older, I think that um, uh, especially when I went to college and stuff, the amount of Bhangra music coming out, um, it was just in. We just got daytimers and stuff and everything. So the whole environment was I was in was was changing, and I was really enjoying that type of music. But um, I remember when I did some of my first demos, though they were just they they weren't Bhangra. Bhangra came after, and I actually haven't done that many Bhangra songs. If you, if you look back and look at my catalogue of stuff, yeah, probably the odd one or two Bhangra songs that I've done for me have worked. So on my first album, there was, uh, and I hope I don't get this wrong now, yeah. So if there was there's six songs, three of them were Bhangra songs, but three of them weren't Bhangra songs. So it's that like 50-50 split. But then if you go to Underestimated, there's, 2004. again, 2004, there's probably less Bhangra right and then when you got Silent Tears there was no Bhangra but that was more kind of slower songs though in in uh, yeah all, in that way so it wasn't necessarily in that in that side so what we're saying is 50-50 a little bit different and then totally away from it by the end to- of- to- yeah totally away from it look if I have to I did Destilal Kara Ping Chirondi Da Dela Bhangadi you know, you look at songs like that, you know, those are some of the Bhangra songs that I've done. And, you know, when, when I do them, it's great. What probably is a bit for me at the moment, when 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 you make a Bhangra song, it's almost sometimes a bit too easy to do. It's not challenging enough. The other ones, it's a, they're a bit more intricate. And I enjoy I really enjoy doing that and I connect with it. So that's why I kind of do probably more of those. I'm going to ask you a question here now in terms of sound. Because there was there was a your let's say your mainstream songs your your ballad kind of songs it was they were fairly unique like yeah. you used to use heavy metal guitars in a lot of in, in some pieces which was always kind of stands out it wasn't I think yourself Mukta Sahol it was always the other one that I used to remember around having like heavy metal guitars and stuff um, yeah. but like in terms of your other sound it was like. Um, it, it, you knew where it was me. It's planet, so you just knew kind of like it, it just had that sound around it, around the Midlands sound. Was there a particular kind of influences that you were taking at the time? Because I, I know obviously during that period you've learned through the B twenty one, the Bali Jagpals. You've got all the other yeah. um, uh, Zeus's phases coming in. What what was your kind of influences? Yeah, I I would say yeah, you know, but Bali, uh, Jesse B twenty one, kind of, you know, I was um, with them a lot during that time. You know, I'd sit in the studio with them as well, see how they do stuff, um, and uh, that that was a really big influence uh, for me. Spent a lot of my time with that, um, so I, I would say probably yeah, that they they were my biggest plus. Where I was working, um, you know, the engineers also had it so. The thing was back back in the day, it's 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 very very different now. Like now, you can get everything on your laptop. You know, laptops weren't that that great back in the day. You know, twenty two odd years ago, um, the machines that you had in studios are very expensive. You couldn't get software at home and just do it at home all the time and stuff like that. So you'd go in, and a lot of studio people actually didn't let you touch their equipment. They're like, "We're the engineer. You tell us what to do, and we'll do it. Because if you do it," and something goes wrong then I you know that's my bread and butter kind of thing 
So I would sit there and watch them and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I'll put my hands up. I'd, I'd go in sometimes and play. So I'd say, listen, hear this. This is what I'm trying to get. Yeah. Um, so when you mix it, this is it. So when I started, I wasn't mixing. The, the engineers were mixing, whether it be Tom or Jim, Suki. They'd do it. I, I, I didn't do any of it. I would tell them what I want more. But but that that's about it. But then what they started doing was they started taking me under their wing and saying, that's nah, all right. You know what? You, you can do a bit more. You can do a bit more. And that's what that that's how I ended up learning. It's when they show you and teach you along the way. It's been a common theme that um, I've kind of learned on this journey when speaking to particularly producers um, and some of the feedback that I get back from from listeners was around uh, the difference between having there was ghost producers and things that have been done. But the difference in, in terms of like how important a sound engineer is um, and the in, they don't get enough credit, especially the ones who, who, who you've just mentioned um, and how the influence of, of their kind of style has always been reflected on music. How did you get that 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 balance right and in terms of relationship, in terms of you as a producer? You've got a unique sound and an image in your head and conveying it to the engineer. Did the engineer always win in the end or was it like how, how did you kind of? Uh, get through those difficult um i i think it's just you know once those relationships were built it was just understanding it i think if you understand music and the technology on how it works then then you kind of do it and a lot of the time now it, it got to a point where i was going in studio and i still do and i, I you know i got my own studio but i actually work in other studios as well i'll go in and i'm teaching the engineer something that he doesn't do because he's not doing it on a daily basis, or I might be using a different platform, or I've used something in a different way. But at the same time, other producers also, it, we, there became a, an era where we were all sharing ideas, and we would all get together, and we would we would be in it. So the one thing I really miss now is the collaborations that used to happen. So if I was in the studio, another three, four people would come in, I'd be working on something and then someone would say, you know what, someone, why don't you try this? Like, you know, what? that's not a bad idea. Let's let's try it. And those would come out. And, you know, I always said that making music is it's a joint effort. Everybody participates, you know, whether you're the singer, you're the writer, composer, you've come and played Thumbi, all of those elements, you know, everybody's contributed to it. You're in your early 20s when your first album comes out, you're thrusted into kind of some sort of limelight in terms of like gigs and everything from there. What what kind of your memories that kind of stick out for you when you look back and reflect on those times? So so one thing I never did is um, I never really, you know, I, I'm not a DJ, you know, and no disrespect to DJs, but I can't DJ. I rate DJs because I think the way that they do it is really great. So I wasn't actually performing much. I never used to get booked. I never, you know, people used to say, Simon, what are you doing? You should be, you know, going to shows, playing your songs. I go, that's not what I'm about. Um, you know, I was, I'm an engineer. So I, I would go touring with bands and engineer for them and do those kind of things. And that side of things I absolutely loved. Because once again, I wasn't at the front of the show. I was actually, all those people on the stage, I'm on the opposite side. Uh, you know, no one gets to see me. I'm doing everything. It's great. And I absolutely enjoyed it. You know, it was, I've traveled the world 
yeah on the back of some great artists you know with them um doing that and you know i absolutely respect them for for taking me along and and giving me that opportunity to do that because myself i would never have got that chance but going away experiencing that life was absolutely great but like i said it got to one point where i was just like i don't want to do this anymore it got too much what do you mean so like give, give us an example of where you had like a like a unique experience where you were like, I can't believe I'm here and who you with. And then what, what then led up to the bit where I couldn't do it anymore? Yeah. So I think I, I was on tour. I, I, I think it was in, in Canada or the States and my, my, it was my close cousin's wedding and I missed everything, you know, with that wedding. And I really wanted to be there. Um, but, you know, I had a commitment to, the band and at that point I was I was pretty much doing music a lot of the time so I was still working but I would go away I've committed to it I've got to go other people can't do it because again like you say once you once you're working with a band the way I'm doing their sound is in a unique way and that's what they want delivered so to get somebody else in to do it is quite difficult um and um you know I are, there were a lot of occasions when that was happening and I felt that you know what I'm missing that side of my family life um and I don't like it and I'm very close to you know my, my immediate family but my wider family as well and um it was something that I just didn't you know I've gone out I've done it but now it's it's, it's you know almost like back to reality I want I want to be part with that family I I, I want to spend time with them but you didn't like. I just want to just drill back on a bit in terms of trying to um, demonstrate and uh, kind of reiterate to the audience, especially and for us, like a high time. What did it look like that scene? Because I think it's very difficult. Like you said, like the technology, that argument is is there. Like you know, the laptops and all these things weren't available. But what else isn't available? Not now was that camaraderie, that collaboration in terms of what you said was you know, that you mentioned in studio, but what was that like on the road when you're looking back and you particularly saw a point where I thought, bloody hell, this is, I've, I've hit, I've, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I, I, yeah, it, I, it was around between 2004, probably 2007 was probably my, I would say that was my peak, you know, around that, the after, after underestimated into silent tears, I literally was on a flight to India and I was being in India all the time. You know, I would get, um, um, the label would do me um, uh, first class seats. Yeah. Hotels paid for. Right. Uh, foods all paid for. You're, you're mingling with the, the big crowds. You're getting the networking, the connections. You know, that's you know the amount of work and collaboration that I did during that time. Yeah. Was was a lot. I've, so I've done a lot of albums for other people. You know, UK artists might not have heard it, but in India they came out uh, and um, and those artists are still going strong today. And it was it was it was surreal at one point because I was going around and people knew who I was. And I was like, I, you know, I don't understand. How do you know who I am and stuff? Especially at that time, there wasn't this whole social media type of stuff, you know, and, and we would have to do all that as well and doing all the radio interviews. And it, it was actually really, really good. I absolutely enjoyed it. And I made so many connections during that time with friends and everything it was it was great I remember shooting Dolly with Johir video and we were in Mumbai and it was the second day of the shooting and I was in this little uh, trailer type thing 
So I'd been in there. I'd been in there most of the day because I'd done my kind of scenes the day before. Uh, I'd been in there for a couple hours, just chilling. And they go, all right, Simon, you, your shot's going to come up. I went, no problem. I opened the door and I looked out and there was probably about 5,000 people standing there watching the shooting. And I couldn't believe it. And then this is in front of the big courthouse right at the end of the video. And there was someone, you need to go stand there. And I was standing there on my own and all these people looking at me. It was surreal. And then I came down. They didn't know who I was, right? And they're like, can we have your autograph? And I'm like, I could have signed anything. <laughs> um, but it, it, was, it, was, it was great. It was absolutely great. And, you know, the... Everything that happened during that period of time, you know, it was just like uh, there wasn't any problems. It was working. Everyone was committed. Um, it was just it was just all really good. It just, just really worked. Um, just in terms of your own your own work and, and, and what you were doing, how would you kind of select the, the singers or the songs that you would uh, want to work with? Would it be given to you by the label to say, I need you, we need you to do this? Or did you kind of work your way around? Because you, you did a fun, you did one of, you know, your Sabarkoti track, uh, Rukawangu is like one that you always kind of, I always remember that. But like to kind of work with artists like that, you've got to have a bit of a road in order to get there, and especially um, a selection process that you probably find down to to uh, to a form. How, how did you come around that? So. Yeah, that's, you know what? It, it's it's changed. It changed the way it was to how it is now. So, so I'll tell you how. It it so what was so what happened? So so when I first started, and I said, you know what, I'm I've decided I'm going to do an album, yeah, or I'm going to do some music. That that that's what ended up happening. And um, I was at college, and in college, um, in my class, there was um a guy named Rashpal. Right. And Rashpal, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put his name out there. He's going to hate me for this. Right. But um, he's, he's still singing today and he, he dances with, um, I think they're called the, the Lions now, but it used to be a different name. Yeah. So he sang that. So we, we, we used to study, we used to be um, in law class together. Right. So we we're doing uh, A level law. And he goes, I want to sing. I go, I want to make music, man. You know what? Let's do it. No problem. Right. Booked Planet Studios went down right what should we do um and at that time um i was talking with um, I, was, I was speaking with jesse and, and jesse goes to me he goes uh well what you need to do you need to do a demo don't you and you need to give just, 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 right, just clarify with jesse please jesse do yeah he goes right you need to do a demo that's what you need to do i went okay so um at that time um i i really liked um uh, Korti's being Jalandida track yeah and i had gone to a wedding and i had um avatar safari sang the song at the wedding on stage as well and i was like i love this song yeah i i'll do a I'll, I'll do a demo to it yeah um so we went in and um i started working on that song and um rashpal did the the guide vocals and he says all right now we've got a kind of you know, hip hoppy with a bit of total kind of song. Let's do a, a sad song. And he goes, let's do Sardepara. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And he sang it and it was much faster than what it is, what I ended up releasing it with. It was like a 
kind of what what did we do it on? There was there was a there was we didn't use the sample, but we recreated something. It was Maria Maria by Santana. That's what it was. And we did it on that groove. And I, I did those demos. And uh, I go, let me go and speak to the label. So I went to speak to the label. Um, and at that time, again, I was gigging with Jesse at the time. And Mac was his manager. And because I knew them, they were, why don't you come over to Movie Box and let's see what we can do. So I went in and I go, these are the kind of songs I, I've done. And, and they go, we love these, this, these demos. They're great. Yeah, the music's great. That's fine. Let's uh, we we can we can do something. They had a library of vocals, right? And they go, you know, why don't you sit here for the day and and pick whatever vocals you want? What like, kind of access in terms of vocals did they have? Because if they you... had boxes and boxes and shelves of CDs, you literally had to pick the CD, read what's on it, you could listen to it, and it was just raw vocals. Yeah, and at that point, I picked. Uh, Monarch song, yeah. Uh, it so was there. They have, oh, I, I'm just trying to see this, especially like young producers now, where it's very hard to get a vocalist. Um, was it alphabetically ordered, or what was it? Just like, or was it like one CD could have one monarch and another one randomly could have it as well? It, it, it was. I think it was. It was random, and 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 we're saying CDs, yeah. But there were also uh, things like ADAP machines. Yeah, so an ADAT's a really big tape that they used to record onto, and then you used to have a DAT, which is a really small tape. So that every type of different thing they could have it on, they had it on, and it was in boxes. And and don't think some of some of these, most of these were neat, but some were just thrown in and stuff. Um, so uh, that was one. So that was how I got that vocal. Yeah, the other one vocalist. So then uh, Meshi Shara was, you know, he knew the label. So they said, look, we can get you a singer and, and you can use that. And actually, Lembert and Rakesh was I had gone to the new movie box studio, which used to be on Albion Street in Jewelry Quarter. And there, um, Suki Chand was working there. He had just started a week before. And the guy Dexter had built the studio. He was working there. And Suki goes, oh, I know some singers that are here. There's a guy called Lembert and a guy called Master Rakesh. And actually, Master Rakesh has learned from Sudur. And we're like, okay. I hadn't heard these guys, right? I've never heard Rakesh's voice, didn't know who he was. He goes, um, I'll I'll grab him and, and bring him to the studio uh, tomorrow. Wait, no problem. Brought him to the studio and he just sit in there. He knew the song because obviously his his guru song. Uh went in, smashed it out in 40 minutes. I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's brilliant. Um, and same with Lembert. Lembert came in, um, and I, actually, I, I knew who Lembert was. And I, I said the one song that I got, I got, I want someone like Suffrey. Can we get Suffrey, please? Yeah, and we can't get Suffrey. Suffrey signed to another record label. You can't get him. And I go, but there, I go, there was that guy who sang the song on Mukta Sahota's album. Tu sari, tu sari, min Sony lagadi. Yeah, I go. He sounds like Lembert, and that's just he goes. Oh, I know him. He's here. He's in Smedic or something. I'll get him. And that was it. It was it was just sheer luck and connections um, to get those vocalists. And although I wanted to say I want these kind of vocalists, but I didn't have a I've got to have this person right now. So it didn't it never started like that. How did you how did you learn Rob then in terms of the 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, also, in order to kind of, like, um, have some of these singers in there. Yeah, well, the, well, they came in and we go, look, where, where are you comfortable singing from? So what oh, we did... Right. Was, okay, so you, they were kind of more singer-led in terms of what they wanted to do. Yeah, so all, all my production was pre-production, because don't forget, when I did my demos, I didn't go and get Dumbies played and all this. It was just, it was all keyboard work. It was all done um, and drums. So when they came in, it was like, oh, if you need it higher or lower or slower, we can we can do that. And that's what we did. We fitted it around them. And um, then we built the song. I just want to go back to that shelf with all those vocals in there. How did you make sure that the vocal that you picked, nobody else has picked at the same time? I, I, I didn't. I didn't even think about it. I still didn't think about it till you just said it. I, was, I, I, I just didn't think about it. I, I, I you know, even when I... Was it? Was I doing underestimated? I think it's on underestimated. This is how this is how I'm struggling now. I did. Um, what was it? no? It wasn't under. No, it wasn't underestimated. Perfectly. When I did. Uh, no, when I did the song Munda Barwala. Okay. Yeah. Right. That was Lab Dunjua, and I wanted to redo that. So that's a cover version song, and I wanted to do that. And I just happened to be having a meeting with Cameron at Movie Box, and I go. Oh, I, I want to do um, that song. He goes, I've got that vocal. I'm like, have you? He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, I'll give it to you. I went in the other room and got it for me. He knew exactly where it was. He knew he had it. I just gave it and said, there you go. Imagine. Literally, it was that easy. Imagine the gold dust that's left in those shelves there still. They, they've got an absolutely massive catalogue. And, you know, I, I don't think they've ever stopped anybody from doing it. I've never known them to say, no, if we've got something, then, then you can do it. And they, you know, a lot of their support got to, got me to where I am today. You know, um, I was probably, if I remember back then, I was probably the youngest person to sign with them ever at that time. And I was 20 years old. How long was your deal? Was it four albums or five? Um, I believe I had a five album deal. I think I didn't do five albums with them though, because the industry kind of changed at that point, and they were like, "Yeah, you can do." I want to. I want to. I want to get that because it affects them at the same time. So you know, you said you're two, two thousand four, two thousand seven. When the piracy movement starts to come in a little bit more, it starts dominating and starts taking hemorrhaging um, creativity in one way, hemorrhaging record labels hemorrhaging releases in, uh, and, and the album sort of dipped because there was just no no kind of value in them at, at that point. Was yeah. that a contributing factor in terms of how you, again, access the singer that you wanted? Did it change your way of how you were working? And, or, or did it knock you off your, your, your pathway? No, I think piracy then was expected, yeah. And um, I don't think it had, I, I, it, for me, it didn't play a factor in anything. 
to be honest with you. Um, and um, where where the the kind of piracy thing came in was the downloads, right? Um, that was the era where we got hit hard um, because physical things were not selling. Now everyone wanted to download on your Napsters or LimeWire, Lime whatever it is, yeah, and and do it. And your song would be up there the same day it's come out, right? And it was it was just dev- the thing was piracy if you're gonna go and, and you used to get pirates at market stalls and things like that yeah people did that but actually people still went and bought the tape the cd the, the genuine one they, they still had that that want to do that uh, a lot of people but once the downloads came and it was i can make my own compilation cd and stuff like this it it, it, it all changed and that's when a lot of people got hit and that's when the the labels got hit as well yeah, because a lot of the labels were selling the pirate ones themselves as well. Like, you know, under the... I remember oh. a lot of cases. Yeah, what? Say that again? Under, under the counter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to say, oh, there's a £15 version, £10, or you can have this Fiverr version, which is a copied CD. I, I, I remember walking on Saw Road with some of those labels there, and they did, the, the, they did that. I never bought that uh, version. I just found it kind of counterproductive. I used to... I used to download... But I used to, um, I was more collection then at that point. I used to have like a lot of the C, a lot of CDs, but I don't know. I just, I found it, it, but you would have been hit more because, okay, if, if you're somebody like Jazzy B or you're somebody, Malkit or anyone, if they, if their song's getting uh, um, kind of down, it's still getting played somewhere and you're going to get a booking, a gig. But if you're not the gigging kind of person, you're not going to even get that as well, are you? Yes, yeah, so, so that's what I mean. It, for me, it, it, it didn't have an impact. So um, most of my stuff was about showcasing what I can do. And what it did was bring in more work into the studio for me, some more production work, um, more collaborations, open more doors to more singers that I wanted to work with. Um, and that's what it was about. So if, if we go back to like, that's how my first album happened. Yeah. After that, things started to change. Then it was a case of, I I knew when I was doing a song, I would always, this is the song I want to do. It's very rare I got given a song and I'd be like, I've got to do music to it. I don't really work like that. I will, this is the music I want to do. This is the kind of song I want. This is the theme I want. And this is the type of singer I want. And normally if I want a type of singer, I'll go and get them. And and, and I'll make sure I've, you know, I've built the song around them. And um, interestingly, so... When I did um, Being Jalandi that I actually, um, uh, my first call was to Sabra Korti to say, I want to do this song. And he was so nice. He goes, I can't do it. Yeah. Even though uh, we'd got the rights to, to cover the song, um, within a certain period of time in India, the same singer can't do the same song again. So his hands were tied. I there was a... Uh, this, there was really old rule. I think it, I can't remember. It's three or five years, okay. And then what? What artists? What producers and labels used to do was make singers sign a separate contract to say they will never do it again to stop them from doing it again after so many years. But Sabad hadn't done that. But Sabad goes, I can't do being Jarandi the at that time because because of this law in India, and I had I had the rights to the whole album, yeah. So I want to do Rukawango. And so I waited 
all that time so he would do the kawangu again and he you know he never once turned around to me and said oh Simon you covered my song but got Lember to do it or anything like that there was no animosity about it um same with Sadur so Sadur did me a vocal on um my last album The Awakening so he did that never turned around oh you did my uh no this and that never he goes that that song he goes your versions almost he goes probably bigger than mine he goes probably that's what he said to me you know i just want to get a kind of an idea in terms of the competition and the politics within the industry at that time what what's yeah. your what do you remember of that so what the politics weren't producers at the time it was labels so everybody who was on movie box yeah were like we're a team but then everybody who's on envy is a separate team that's how it felt probably was it wasn't movie like box versus envy kind of yeah I, I i you know you you would get that i think in between there were probably was a bit of bit of rivalries in that but there was also friendships in between as well with with different labels and stuff like that so but that is the feeling it used to be label against label you know i think at that time you're probably correct but i'm sure malkit and Sofri were on osa and um then you had yeah, Jazzy, always be, uh, i'm gonna say I'm, there's gonna be the purists and i've got to be very careful but as, as long as i remember for as long as i remember like malkit and osa have always been together i'm sure he's done uh, different parts everywhere i'm sure he's done something which will kind of be anomaly I think Sufri bounced around a little bit in terms of where there was Roma. I think he did do bits with Envy. I think he did a couple of tracks with Sanj, I believe. And then yeah. he might have done stuff with a high tech. I'm not. But that would make sense if the back catalogue got sort of bought out by those Back catalogue did get bought out and moved and stuff. All that used yeah, to happen. So I, but... I, I think he's... I think he's Bilas Sadara is a, a bit of similar kind of pathway with Sufri. I, I, I kind of kind of pair together. I'm no historian. Yeah. I genuinely, I'm just more kind of from a memory and fan point of view. You've got like Dips Bamra. He's like amazing when he when you ask him about kind of history and polytanker, kind of like my go-to people in terms of um, making sure everything is correct. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, I, I think people were in different places, but then there was always that little. I think you know when we say rivalry, I think it was it was a rivalry. It was healthy competition. That's what it oh, is. It gives you, you, it, you it, so polite. Right. Yeah. I, but, I, but you know what? It, it, the, I, listen, I, I've heard stories that, you know, things have happened previously, but I've never, I've never, I've never seen it or anything yet. But you know what? You know, I, I've been, I'll, I'll tell you one story. I'll tell you one. I'm not going to mention any names. Yeah. But a band was coming off stage at a gig. I was packing up. Yeah. And the other band came on. He goes, oh, hurry up and pack up, man. Let a real band come on. Right. And that was because there was a rivalry between live bands and PA bands. Right. And it was just it was it was there was no need for it. Yeah. But that's what it was. So that was also an era of rivalry where uh, people who were doing PAs. So going on, got the backtrack on. Yeah. And live band people didn't like it. They felt disrespected. Now everybody works together. It doesn't matter which one you do. Now anybody right. who takes any booking, they just have happy there's a booking. It, absolutely. 
and look this there's no sort of you know people get uptight about it you know it's like there's no law here that says you've got to do it like this if you look at mainstream mainstream been doing pas for for years so it's a form of entertainment um you know people used to say to me um so i'm you know I, i've heard people say uh Oh, Simon's picked this song up. It's not even his song. It's an it's an old song. Well, yeah, it's a cover version. I've covered it. But look, who hasn't covered songs? Mainstream cover songs. You know, back in the day, a lot of a lot of you know what who we call legends and everybody now they've all covered songs. There's nothing wrong with it. But if someone's going to pick on something, then they they will pick on it and just kind of go at it. So there's always these little things that are always going on, and you know it, it it's not necessary. When did you, even between your own albums, there was, you know, there was a short of gaps to start off with, and then there was kind of, the, the gaps got little, got bigger and bigger and bigger. Was wh Why was that happening? So, um, what what had happened was after the first couple of albums, which I think were about two years apart each one, I think two, 2002, four, and then six. And then what happened was I got so much work in from other artists for whole albums. I just started doing those and in hindsight that was probably i shouldn't have done that was that ghost production as well i i have done ghost production it's not yeah I, you know what i i don't want to say ghost production i know people say ghost production right right i don't Look, think it's a bad thing i it, you know it, when people it's, like, it's like a boogie word when they say oh you did ghost production like, and no one gives a shit look th th this is the way i see it, and it happens today as well right some you know i will have um artists you know upcoming music producers composers whatever you want to call them yeah they'll come in and they'll be like okay um they, they're gonna do a song so may, maybe maybe the guy wants to be produced maybe he's made the beat and goes right I i've made this beat here's the song but i don't know how to do anything else can you put the keys down for me can you do the bass for me can you mix it for me that's fine tomorrow if someone says to him right can you play this no all right well that's been ghost produced well, something ghost produced he's here i'm the engineer and if i can help you i will help you but at the same time they're learning along the way they're watching me they're doing it they're having their own initiative to do it so ghost production when i see ghost production in its truest form is if someone sends me a song and says simon here's x amount of money produce this song send it back to me and uh, i'm gonna put my own name on it and i never see them that's ghost production. That I've never done. Nobody would, no one will send me. So I, they'll be here. There'll be something going yeah. on. So the more the collaboration kind of thing. Yeah, it, it's it's collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. So then, yeah. So you, 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 the the gaps were getting bigger and bigger. You were saying. Yeah. So I I started, um, you know, um, doing albums for people, and um, I started touring a lot. And um, then I, I did have the, I did get it finished. There was a bit of, there was, there was two hiccups that came along with it. One, um, I was trying to get international record deals. So we're trying to say, right. So what, what would happen before, because we didn't have this great social media platform that we got now, if I release a product here for me to get that CDs printed in India and marketed, I need someone out there who i can license the product to and and do it and a lot of those relationships weren't always great between the record labels so one is once the product was ready it's going out there 
putting the graft in, trying to negotiate something that both of them will do. Um, and then what happened was there was some major, major errors with the video and we shot some videos and um, the footage got wiped and lost and all that money had gone down the drain. Then there wasn't any more money to invest into it. So I had to wait X amount of time. And, and then next thing you know, the, you'll start losing the momentum. Um, so actually, so if I look at Perfectly Imperfect, right, it came out in, in 2012, yeah? Me and Taz, Stereo Nation, shot our video in August 2008. And I got that video back from Azeem Parker in 2012 because he'd lost the footage and he was shot on uh, Super 16. And by the time somehow they managed to retrieve some footage off a drive, but it was very small, it was low res. So we ended up with an SD file. And it was just like, it, it didn't make sense. And by that time, so many years had passed and it was just like, I gotta get this done, gotta get this done. So I went through almost like a bad period of nothing was going right. And then the videos weren't looking right and things like that and this is off the back of i was being really particular because i go i've just done videos like dolly with Juhir, which was a which was a twenty thousand pound video that was i got i can't go from a twenty thousand pound video to a five thousand pound video because the expectations higher it's not that i'm more arrogant and say that's the level you've got to deliver at it's You've, you've got to do something. That's the bar now. That's the new bar that you've got to, you've got to hit. Every... And, and, that, and because of all the the kind of social, not social media, but all the other like line wire and things like that and people making less money, they weren't prepared to invest that much. If someone genuinely does a £20,000 video now, yeah, they're a superstar and they've just got, they've got that money and income to back it. But if you're starting out or doing something, then there's no point and because the shelf life of a song is so small now if any i would never say to someone go and spend that sort of money i've had this conversation especially i've got um uh, i was spoke to beyond the new singer rapper i was spoke to a couple of guys from canada um and and the theme around it is kind of resources in terms of like how finite resources have become within within the industry and if if you're not now a singer a producer a person that can do the on graphics the person that can do the on social media all the artwork and stuff you're spending absolutely shed loads of money on on on, on your own product within there which probably only have a shelf life of about an hour if it's in if it's crap um and i think you know when we were talking about how things are getting sort of filtered out i think people are getting priced out of this game at the moment because Yes, it's more. It's easier than ever to kind of release uh, music, <clears throat> and talent is always talent. They always come through to a point. But if you ain't got nobody invested in you, you you're struggling. You really are struggling if, with you, resource. You, you've got to invest in yourself now. That's what it is. You you are your primary person. But I think look, I think everybody at any point when they're doing whether it's music or anything else, if if I I strongly believe if you put your 100% into it and graft and that's what you want to do yeah right you'll be successful right it it depends what you're looking for from it if people are looking for fame and money yeah right I'd say don't bother doing it because when you're looking for that you, you know what you're not going to get you're not going to find it 
what you need to be doing is putting the graft in. But everywhere has got its pros and cons. So if I, if I go back to my first album, so the day my first album came out, I had to drive to London to do radio shows there and then come back to Birmingham to do the radio shows in the night. And then for the next four to eight weeks, go up and down the country to do radio shows. They didn't really do them on the phone in 2002. You needed to go in person. Then you just need to Scotland. Then what you do is after you've done your two months, three months promotion in the UK, you got to get on a plane and either go to Canada or India. And at that time, the albums used to come out at different times. So an album can come out here in January and then be like, right, but we're releasing in India in April. I'm going to go India for three months and well, then I'm going to promote it there and I'm going to travel around and do it. You don't have that problem now. So that's like a, a bonus for them, right? Is because you can now put your song out there and within 10 minutes, it's it's global. Yeah. That that's phenomenal. You look at the graph that you look look at your the likes of your Apache Indians, right? And uh, your Jazzy Bees and that. How they got to where they've got without this social media platform. That that's the journeys they took. They would be on the road for months and months at a time doing that and promoting and then doing the shows and doing everything. Yeah. And it was all about the love of it and the longevity of that product was there. You know, it was, you, you keep regurgitating it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Now it's, you put it out, but that that's great. So I have now just put my product out and, um, you know what I love about it? I, I, I went into YouTube. I go into uh, Spotify uh, for artists. I could, yo, you've got 100 people are listening to your album right now. This is how many streams you've had in the last, uh, the last seven days. This is what you've got. Analytics are brilliant. I'm like, wow. That feeling that, oh, you know, this is, this is happening right now and someone's listening to it. I never got that. I never used to, no one used to listen to my song unless I was walking past the car. I'd be like, oh, you, you're playing my song. You know, that, that that was it. That is the, the change now. So there's a positive on that. And then there's a, there's also the negative. But to put it out now as well, the, the cost is minimal. You know, when back before, I mean, I say it's minimal. Believe it or not, to back in the day, to produce the CD, like as in print it, the cover, the box, seal it up, done, 99p. Wow. The, then, then the label would sell it probably for about, four or five quid to the record shop the record shop would then sell it for 9.99 because yeah. the markups there but now it's just accessible within seconds yeah for your people don't even want to pay 99p well it's just stream it now yeah, isn't it, it? and yeah. you know on a stream after it's streamed for what what is it 20 seconds or something you get on spotify 0.004 pence that's the money that comes back into someone's pocket. So, you know, when I read things where people are knocking people down uh, and their song and stuff, and I know it's part of the game, but that person's put their hard effort, you know, month, time into that. They like it. And you're just knocking them down. What's that going to give you? It's not going to give you anything. And and that that is the probably one thing that hasn't changed over the last two decades. Knock someone down. It's just it's I I it's not worth it, and I don't know why people do it. But it's in it's in every sort of industry where you are, you know, you, you're out there, whether you're an actor, 
whether you're 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 a singer producer it's just it's just not happening and the, the other thing that's really odd right now i had someone approach me at a wedding and goes and i hate this oh um I, you know, you're Simon, I grew up listening to you. It makes me feel really old, first of all, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But they say that. And um, so the next thing was, you got, I've done a song. Went great. I want to do some more music. I'd love to come and collaborate with you. Right. I went, okay, no problem. He goes, here's my Insta. Like, link me on it. Yeah, I went, no worries. Right? He showed me his Insta, right? And he had something like 1.8 million followers. You've released one song. Your song got 500,000 views, but you've got 1.8 million followers. Why are people following you? Because it surely can't because of your music. So what have you got that following for? I don't, I don't understand. You want people to follow you for your music, I would say. Right? If they're following you for anything else, your music's not going to be successful. They might be showing their arse off. You don't know. It's either tits and arse on Instagram anyway. So I, I I don't know, man. But you know, it it it's one of those. But it, you know what? It, it it to me, there there are things that I even I struggle to get my head around. But I'm sure I'm probably wrong, and there is a reason behind it. And you know, it, if it works for them, it works for them. Um, but that's one thing that doesn't work for me. So that's where this is where I will never have a. You know, people say you're trying to come back. I'm not trying to come back. No, I do not want to come back. Um, that's not what this is about. So was it, so everything that you said, um, you know, in terms of why everything slowed down, was that the reason from when we first started the conversation of what, why you kind of took a break? Yeah. That was it? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we digressed a lot, didn't we? So, yeah. So I, I think, yeah, what I took, a, I took a lot of work on and then I got to a point, um, I think after Perfectly Imperfect came out because of that, that massive delay, the response on that album was not um, great compared to my other albums. It still did really well for me. You know, Rukawangu, like you said, it's still banging today, you know, and um, um, it, it, it was great in that sense. And then it, it was almost like, you know what, I actually need to tone this down a bit now. I just want to do other things. And and that's what I, I started doing. And I started focusing uh, more on my kind of family, my nine to five um doing that grafting around that and i i really got into it i think at one point i, I didn't go into studio for like a year or 18 months i think it was, it was quite a while that um that i stepped back um and then um but it, it's like one of those things once you're once you step back in a little bit you can't you can't get back out what, what drove you to go back then um so I, I still, I, you know, at that point, um, so, so what had happened at that, after that, so I had an album deal with Movie Box. I said, look, I don't really want to do anything anymore. Yeah, let's call it a day. And that's why I didn't produce my last album with uh, Movie Box. And I was like, that, that's done. They were happy. There was never an issue. Simon was fine, not a problem. Do, yeah, um, you, you can do that. And then um, I don't know what happened because I, I stopped. Um, I, you know, even today, I don't go on the road. I don't engineer for people. I don't tour. Um, I actually stopped hanging around with a lot of music people for for a couple of years, and I I just, I just didn't see them. My whole crowd changed, and it was just you know all about family, friends, and stuff, close friends from when I was in school and stuff. And then I I don't know what happened. I think it was just a case of I was hearing some stuff, and I I 
I got irritated one day and I was just like, you know what? How how can music be like this now? Let's uh let let let's bring it back. Let's 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 go back in and let's see what we can do. And you know, I did a whole refurb at my place and you know got new stuff, updated my my machines. You know the the software had been updated and there was loads of real real good things on there made things a lot easier and I just kind of got into it and it just kind of like within within a couple of sessions I was I was just really back into it and I was just really enjoyed doing it again um it was almost just like I needed to just to hit the reset button I needed just a timeout I've seen that even with GVs just come back with the track with the Gary Sandu and and then Jim Dylan and it's doing mad it's doing crazy numbers and even with him, in terms of his sounds evolved, like yours, like it has, is that something conscious that you want to move on with the sound, or you want to still kind of bring your kind of nostalgic sound? So I, I think there's something about my stuff that will always have that kind of signature in it. I think, um, I think you, you, you picked it out quite rightly. A, a lot of my stuff is built around um, guitars, yeah. And and that's my my key sound. Ninety nine percent of the time, I my song will start with with guitars, and there'll be some sort of guitar in there and doing something. Um, and a lot of my stuff is all about it's it's about the drums. I keep my drums really loud and stuff. Um, I, this recent one, the the Bad Company EP, I did. So these were songs that I had uh, for many many years, and I just didn't put them out. And um, I actually had this done pre COVID. And I was due to go on a video shoot and a uh, typical thing, COVID happened. So it never happened. So they sat there for... I remember you know, that conversation. Four. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was like, and I, and I think it was you, you were saying to, and I was thinking, oh, I'm not going to do it now. But you were like, no, nah, just put it out there. You might as well. You might as well. You know something? Then, I want you to get, hang on. This is the only ego boost I said. I spoke to GV about this, about his stuff, and then he, he spoke to me privately, and I, I won't discuss the details, but he goes, he, he'll let it run off. But I had something to do with that, his track. And I had something to do with trying to keep prodding you in terms of, come on, just get all this stuff out. Because if you think about how we just thought about Movie Box with all those stuff there, right? The goal that you might have on your hard drive of legends who've gone or, you know, still, when you record them at their peak, they will go with you. We, we as a, a consumer will, might not ever hear that. And I think you've got a duty. And I keep putting pressure on everyone that you need to release this stuff because we've got a very limited time frame when you're here in modern music where there's no there's no folk instruments. It's all Western. There's still a market for the nostalgic market, no matter how small it is or whatever, it's still there. You're, you're, I, I have got um, a couple more songs on my on my drive that I, I have I've never done. I, I went and did them. Um, some of them I can't do because the singer will be like, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, and uh, some of them the singer's gone, but they they're there. But you know, you, you're saying that. So um, um, I'll mention him. Uh, infamous Suk. He's got like um, forty vocals, like just sitting there. And and we've we've gone out a while back, loads of big stars and and some newcomers, and he and he and he's got them. And I, I was being told this uh, when we went out, and uh, and he was there, and they were like, if you know, they were saying, if you don't do them, we're going to take them off you and stuff like that. And I was like, well, you know, just put them out there, and he, and he and he should do it. But I'll tell you, I've done this, yeah. So we had the convo, right? Right, okay, you know what? Let's do it. And it was all about getting the video done. I had so many challenges on this one because 
I actually um, sent money to Master Rakesh to do his sink. Yeah. One thing I've always done in all my stuff is I've always tried to put the singer in the video. So if you look at the last ones that I did with Rakesh, um, I got his sink done on green screen and I put him in. Yeah. Um, this time I sent him the money, but um, this was last year. Um, he had a heart attack. Yeah. He actually had a heart. He had two heart attacks, one right after the other one about a week later. And because of that, he rang me and goes, I need to pay the medical bills. So he used that money to pay the medical bills. And I said, right, well, I'm going to Italy to shoot this video. I will buy your ticket, but you need to come. And he goes to me, he goes, look, I'm not, you know, he, he goes, I don't want, I can't get out of the country. I can't do it. Let's you, you go and do it. He goes, and I went, fine. Yeah. I did not want to do it. I was like, I was, I was gone beyond that. I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Um, so this was the last time I think I've done it. Right. And, um, uh, but, but that, that was it for that. But every time I, I try and try and get the, the, the people in, but I I've done that now. And now I've done it. It's the same thing. I've got a taste for it. So I can tell you now, there are another six songs coming out over the next couple of months because um, I spoke to Moviebox and Moviebox go, right, it's been 21 years since you did your last uh, first album. There's a lot of people now that haven't heard it. Should we should we reproduce them? I went, you know what? Let's do it. I picked up being Gerondi there at the, uh, the archives, completely revamped it ready to come out next month um completely revamped um kanu marda reading dolly with you here reading parla gade all reading all coming out and then because i've been doing stuff i've had two three other people who i've done music for that were just kind of being lazy and on saturday i was at a video shoot just sitting there because they're shooting their videos they go right they're releasing so that stuff's coming out as well. It's just almost like put a knock on to other people to say, you know what, Dan, we're on a buzz because you, you're on a buzz. So let's just all do it. And I don't know what's happened in the last month. Yeah, but I absolutely love it. Yeah, because I dropped. Yeah. Then GV dropped. Uh, PBN's dropped. Jesse's dropped. I'm like, you know what? Yes, this is what I'm talking about now. And I don't know how we've all just clustered it together. The timing's absolutely terrible for us. But nobody's songs sound the same. Like, they're all completely different, which is great. That just shows you the versatility of every woman. It's brilliant. I think it's the, I think it's the kind of subconsciousness, the subconscious, I suppose, or the consciousness of the, of the UK Pongra scene, of where I think at some points, I think people conceded the, the title of, job before you go from to Canada and say right yeah you you guys won you carry on and but I think now inadvertently as everyone's got a little bit older and grayer they've got a little bit more time on their hands and dedicate the, that passion and hobby again um and I think it's kind of I think it's kicked and I think we're going to see a lot more of it coming out soon and then once you flood the market with quality now because you can't put out crap because of the resources you 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 should start seeing sort of high end UK products within there. I think the only sad thing is is that we still need a fresh youth in terms of competition coming in. Like UK singers, we need a lot more of of UK singers as well. Um, 
I want to kind of bring it to you've already kind of mentioned what the the, the future bits are, but I just uh, um on here I have a bandwagon section where um is there a bandwagon that you want to jump on, jump off, or anything that you want to get on your chest off your chest? This is your space to do so. Is there anything that you you want to discuss there? I don't know what you give it. You giving me. You giving me a, a bit to just like go mental at somebody. Yeah, or, or anything, whatever is kind of like your space. No, I think you know. Uh, it's like you said. Uh, there's, there's lots of things coming out. Um, what what I'm seeing in the market, you know, I I I really like what's it. I'll be honest. I don't listen to a lot of um, uh, current stuff, which is really bad. You know, um, I miss the whole um, vibe. And I, and I think that that's bad. But w one thing I will say is, you know, um, it's it's kind of like a, a it gets irritating for me sometimes. You know, people say um, um, UK Bangla is dead, yeah, and we're not doing it and stuff like that. Um, UK Bangla artists, Punjabi, whatever, whatever, however you want to do it, Bangla is not dead. It's just evolved. It's just changed, yeah, and. What people just need to do is just just go with the flow. Things are never going to stay the same, yeah. And uh, people just need to appreciate that, and you know, probably st stop bitching so much. I would say, you know, and actually, you know what? Let's just be a bit more supportive. You know, if I if I, if I rewind to when I started, yeah, um, I tell you what really damaged. I want to say damaged my career, but it took took over with the garage sound and RDB and your surrender ratings, yeah that era came in yeah and you know what at that time i can recall people um absolutely hating it the traditional people that were in the industry like what kind of music is this they're ruining it it's not true bangra blah 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 today they're known as classics people still blast ajamahi yeah brilliant songs and it's exactly the same now all these new people coming in yeah they got real good talent they're dropping some good stuff i just appreciate it i think you know what i think it's i think it's really good and it's showing the creativity of individuals and and we should really just um uh, you know what um give a bit of recognition for it simon i want to thank you for joining me on here and it's been well worth it i really enjoyed uh, this conversation and i know we kind of have our daily chats anyway around around this but um what I will say is that when those new tracks come out back on, we're doing no, another kind of uh, bits in terms of what you learn and um, your experiences. But I really appreciate you taking the time for me today. No worries, man. Thanks for having me, man. This is the only interview that I've done, by the way. Yeah, I don't, I don't do interviews anymore, and this is it. I know you're saying come back. I don't know, man. I think, uh, <laughs> I think this was it. To give it another two years. It's gonna happen, man. It's gonna happen. Cheers, mate. All right, take care. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. 
And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.